Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the DJE Podcast today. My guest is repeat guest, Mr. Reed Goosens, a friend of mine. Uh, and we're going to talk about his journey from Australia to the United States, investing in multifamily, growing that company, um, leaving a partnership recently and building up his own company, investing in multiple markets, what's going on right now in debt markets, lots of stuff that we dive into that's going to be helpful to you aspiring entrepreneurs out there, also to you passive investors out there, a lot of nuggets that Reed shares with us. Before we get into that, two quick things. If you're not seeing DJE deals right now um, and you want to be in our investor portal set up with all that stuff, you can go to djetexas.com and register there. We'd be happy to get you case studies and get you onboarded there. And secondly, if you're an aspiring operator for multifamily projects, we created apartmenteducators.com as a complete ecosystem, a set of tools, resources, contacts, everything you need to do to go build your team and go buy these large uh, multifamily communities as an operator. Our students are doing some really exciting big deals right now. So check that out at apartmenteducators.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into the episode with my friend, Mr. Reed Goosens. Reed, welcome. It's great to see you again. How are you, sir? G'day, mates. Long time no speak, and uh, it's good to be back on the show. I think I was on the show, what, a couple of years back now, right? It's probably been a while. Yeah, I forget the episode number. We can look it up, but uh, great to have you on again. So thank you for, for jumping on. Love to catch up and, and uh, kind of, you know, see what's going on in your world these days. Um, how about an intro, though, for folks that maybe are not already in your world or don't know Rita Goosens and your story? How did, how did you get into this crazy game uh, initially? Yeah, mate. Well, uh, clearly my West Texas accent gives me away, right? So uh, right. I uh, originally from Australia and I moved here 10 years ago. Um, I moved here to chase a, a girl and that girl turns out to be my wife today. And we're happily okay. expecting our first child here in September. And ah, um, thank you very much. Thank you. But yeah, really moved here just to be an expat. I, I, I had originally backpacked through, New, uh, through the US back in 09. And I okay. really fell in love with New York and I was like, I need to live in New York at some point. I just spent you know, 12 months in, in London working um, as a structural engineer, which is my background in structural engineering. And, uh, you know, at the time I met Erica uh, back in 2009 and then sort of moved back to Australia in 2010 and, um, you know, was, 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 was sort of hankering to get back to the US and then had an opportunity to move back here in 2011 um, to end of 2011, early 2012, there's a really awesome working visa for Australians and hit the ground running. I, I'd already sort of been bitten by the real estate bug in Australia prior to moving. And I think within six months of being fresh off the boat, I'd, you know, attended my, you know, my first rear events in New York. And this is, you know, information on steroids. And I bought my first triplex for $38,000 in Syracuse, New York. Um, that was back in 2012. Working full time, I, ro I rocked up, didn't have a job. I was literally door knocking to find a job. Um, wow. Fast forward to where we are today. Um, I obviously you and I partnered on a, a number of deals uh, in the past. You were very influential in helping um, me and my former business partner Andrew Campbell get started. And um, you know, it was great to see some of those deals finally come full cycle. But that was back in what 16, 2016, 2017, and right. helped start a company called Wildhorn Capital. Um, grew that platform. 
really proud to say that it was an incredible team over there. And then I decided to, to part ways and now starting, you know, sort of platform 2.0, so to speak. And um, yeah, but but in the last sort of 10 years have grown, grown the business, been involved in over 650 million of assets under management, you know, grown my net worth, all that good stuff. And so my whole shtick is for those people who don't know the shtick is, you know, if an Aussie can move halfway across the world and, you know, achieve financial freedom, you know, achieve, you know, do this game well, then so can the average American. And it's not necessarily about boasting, but it's about just showing, you know, inspiration. And, you know, if you want to, you know, if you, if you want action, if you want to you know, do something or achieve something, get off the fence and, and take some action. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for that very condensed overview, but kind of a great uh, portrait there. And I, and I like to kind of hold that up sometimes to people that, you know, we, we coach some people here on multifamily and it's like, you know, you're investing in your backyard, you have every resource. There's a lot of people that would kill to have what you have right now and have done more. I guess, you know, the thing is, there's somebody doing more than you right now with less. And I think, uh, you know, you were probably an example of some of that in the beginning, maybe not now as you built up your resources and your track record, but certainly beginning, that's an inspirational story. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yep. Um, so what you know, I'm kind of curious in Australia, what, what is what is the real estate the landscape, landscape like? Is yeah. there is there an opportunity for commercial investing, or it's just completely no? There is. There's definitely commercial. You know, Australia is has 26 million people, so like just let's just call it one tenth of the size of of America. Sure. Um, we don't have. I'm going to use the word lack of sophistication, but it's not necessarily that right word. It's just due to the lack of population drives the lack of different financial um, vehicles. Now, what do I mean by that? So in Australia, we don't necessarily have the Freddie Mae, Fannie Mac, uh, other way around, you know what I'm talking about. The Freddie and Fannie loans backed by government bonds, non-recourse, you know, 25, 30 year amortization. Uh, we don't also have multifamily. And, and the reason we don't have multifamily is, is based on that lack of sophistication in the financial markets, because in our world or in Australia, it's, it's a little bit like Canada, or it's like a, an LA, LA or New York, like you make the most, you, you, multifamily doesn't exist. And that doesn't exist because the lending environment wants you to pre-sell certain amount of units off the, off the plan. So you have to go down the condominium path, right? right? And because the cost of land is so expensive, the cost of labor is really expensive. Um, that drives up that really build, build to, for rent is not necessarily uh, an option because you, you have to build the cell in order for the numbers to pencil. Now, there's a lot of apartments being built, but in Australia, our first home when you come out of uni isn't a home. It's actually a two-bedroom, two-bath condominium. That's that's kind of what it is. In terms of the you know, you know what market does it look like, it looks and smells like an LA or San Francisco or New York. So high appreciation, low cash flow environment. Um and you know, a lot of people in Australia talk about negatively geared. So you might have an investment property that you're actually tipping money into, um, but that because you're tipping money into it, you then get tax benefits, but you're not. It's not really putting cash in your pocket, so to speak. It's just you know reducing your tax liability. You know, for the average person earning one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, they may own a single family rental, but they're got to tip in twenty twenty five grand a year in in, in, int- in mortgage payments. Well, that just reduces that one hundred fifty thousand dollar. You know, W two income, and that's they're like, yeah, that's great, <laughs> and hoping the thing appreciates over a period of time. So, high level, it's it comes down to population size, and then that breeds certain financial instruments, lack thereof, and that's the biggest difference. Now, you mentioned 
commercial. There's obviously hotels. There's obviously self-storage. Self-storage is actually blowing up in Australia. But in terms of Western Hemisphere, I still think the US is the number one on the yield play for commercial real estate. So when you compare it to Europe, when you compare it to Australia, when you compare it to Canada, the US has in office, in retail, in warehouse, in, you know, we call it multifamily, the best cap rate still, even to this day, when you compare it to other Western nations. And that's hence why it breeds a lot of, you know, international money coming into, you know, the multifamily market or the self-storage market, because they're looking to chase yield. Um, Again, secondary tertiary markets don't necessarily exist as much as they do on scale here in the US. And that's based on the population. So, yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, thank you for that overview. Appreciate that. Um, well, let's talk about the the uh, platform now that you're involved in closing deals. Uh, you know, obviously Wildhorn out of Central Texas that was a great run and a great um, great portfolio. You know, yeah, that, incredible that there. And I've, I've been fortunate to be involved in in some of that um, peripherally, and very grateful for that. But you know, let's talk about now and moving forward markets, asset types, team, you know, what, what is, what does all that look like now that you're not building from, you know, door knocking, you've got in you know, reputation in this industry, you've gone full cycle on deals. And I mean, the whole thing, it's just like a completely different world now, right. um, building from where you are now. So what, what does that look like today? And what, you know, what are you guys, uh, what are you guys yeah. going after? So the, the, new, the new platform, whatever you want to call it, it's called RSM Property Group. Um, it's been around for a long time, actually, when Andrew and I first started up. And I think the first deal you were involved in, we sort of co-branded it. And then yes. you, know, you come together. And, and, and partnerships are fantastic in the beginning because you need help, right? You just need to be able to, you don't have, you know, I was still working full-time. And, you know, at the time, Andrew was still working as well. And we were trying to build something of, of worth. As now you build platforms and you go through, you know, the solar entrepreneurship, you do everything under the sun, asset management, construction management, you know, what bank drawers, all the things. And, and you do it because you just don't have enough money to go out and buy, uh, hire employees. Well, now today, I'm, as you mentioned, I've come full cycle on a handful of deals that's put money in my pocket and I'm now being able to go invest in a good team. And now we're focused on growing the geographical diversification across the country. So a little bit back to my story, is that I see opportunities in other markets, given that I am international, and you know, seeing the trends that have occurred over the last since sort of since COVID, the, you know, and, and then you're also being at the coalface of a place like Austin, where it's just completely boomed into a really t- you know, primary market, in my my opinion. Sure. Um, you can see other telltale signs in other markets. So part of what the platform looks like now is to expand into those other markets, replicating what I built at Wildhorn, you know, the, the systems, the processes, the general contracting, the, the asset management, you know, the construction management. You know, I've also built out the, 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 the material sourcing from Asia, which can get across the country now. So a lot of things look different because I've been able to systemize, but then that's allowed me to look at other areas, right, and expand into other areas. Um, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, earlier on in the green room, you have a platform in, in teaching people. And I had a bit of a platform, smaller one, not as big as yours, but I had some couple of key students that helped me, you know, I KP'd some of their deals in some of these other markets that I've now become really focused on. And that's helped me sort of have a fishing line into that market, you know, ride shotgun on, say, a small 30, 40 unit, be the, the key principal, and then, you know, now expand and now start you know, buying bigger, bigger assets. So we're, we're buying 135 units in, in Phoenix, um, uh, closing next week. 
Uh, and then we just got on, we just got an, uh, under contract 280 units in Greenville, South Carolina, um, as of earlier this week. So a lot's going on, you know, again, trying to build what does the team look like? Got, you know, head of asset management, got a head of acquisitions, bringing in uh, another partner who, who I've been involved with, you know, you know, co-writing books that you see in the background, but just building out uh, a team so I can run quicker. Um right. Yeah, there's a great analogy that I interviewed Brandon Turner on, on from the Bigger Pockets show on my podcast. And he talks about like the four stages of like elevating yourself. And it starts with, you know, there's a DIY stage where you, you go and change the toilets or, you know, change the window yourself. Then there's a project management stage where you, you know, you're overseeing a, a subby or, or a vendor who does that, right? And then you've got the, the COO stage, the chief operating officer, which you, you might have a project manager below you um, that, that's overseeing the deals or the GC. And then you have, you know, sort of the architect. And as I look back over the 10 years, I've definitely have graduated and, and coming out of Wildhorn, that, that sort of COO role that I probably was the, 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 the implementer, as they sort of, if anyone has read Traction, um, elevating myself into the architect role and then hiring those key positions below me has been really eye-opening in helping me expand where I want to grow the company over the next 10 years, you know, and not, not just geographically, but maybe into other asset classes. So, um, so yeah, that, so that's kind of the picture of what it looks like, just, you know, seeing more opportunities and, and, and offering investors a little bit more diversification. I love it. Yeah, there's so much good in there. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Gina Whitman's Rocket Fuel book. That was really instrumental for me to architect, bringing in my integrator, who is actually an in, internal hire, who's now my COO. And that's like completely changed our company over the last year, um, putting that into place. And, you know, at the bottom, bottom line is divisional labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and at some point, you've got to fire yourself from all those other roles. But that's a very rewarding journey, too. And now you deeply understand each of those pieces you know when somebody on the team's going through hell on a bank draw you absolutely understand what, what that looks like right it's still look it still isn't i i'm i'm as i before i jumped on this podcast i'm literally in the weeds of my investment deck right of like making sure that thing you know what are we doing here okay i can i can sort of carve out the financial piece to the analyst but they do they can they really write the sort of introduction and the sort of narrative and that's probably never going to be there's certain things that as as i grow i need to also realize i need to let go of the vine but it may not happen like that it might it might take a period of time a couple of reps as they say uh before you get to that point yeah absolutely i think you know our our uh director of investor relations i think had a pretty rough go at the first six months with me you know, hovering over every last little thing. Um, but it's your baby, right? You, you, you know, you want it to be, you want it to go well because you, you put right. something into the stratosphere and you're trying to raise money for it and it, it's a flop. Well, that's because of the spelling mistake or one of the, you know, one of the sure. pages, numbers on one of the pages didn't add up. You know, like those things matter when you're raising capital. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So letting go of the mind, certainly a piece of it, not too fast. It's, it's a, it's absolutely, uh, an art form making that happen, but that's, that's really exciting. Um, so excellent to be able to be where you are pursuing new projects, multiple markets, geographic diversity. I think we can make arguments, you know, for that. Um, and that's great, you know, to be able to, to, to see some of these things that are happening in other markets and capitalize on them. What are some things you've done? Because um, our firm historically hasn't, Done, we find deals in our backyard and it's enough for our targets every year and that's fine. 
we've explored looking at other markets, but what are some things that, that you've done well being, you know, from Australia, living in LA, doing Texas deals, like you're clearly very comfortable, you know, owning assets in a market where you're not physically laying your head every night. What are some things that have, that have helped you um, manage remotely, I guess, if that's the right term? Well, I think it's also mindset on the front end. And don't get me wrong, for those people listening, if, if I could invest in my backyard, if I would, right? My, my wife happens to be from LA. We ain't moving. I love surfing. It's just, yeah. it's just where we're at, right? Yep. If I get on a three-hour flight or a four-hour flight, I can cover a lot of markets in that time, right? And it's yeah. consistently showing up, I think, is really important, right? You, The old saying, you hang around the hoop you will get rebounds, right? It all starts with broker relationships. It starts with underwriting a ton of deals. So putting in a system in place that you're looking at every deal that hits the market and, and not knowing that may, may one of them may work, one of them, probably the majority of them won't, but you're, yeah. you're building that relationship that, that you know, the, the, the clout with the brokers, like this deal in Phoenix, I, I've been, I've been underwriting deals in that market for over 18 months. Like the, the deal in, in Greenville, South Carolina, you know, again, I, I mentioned earlier about the, the fishing line into that market. I, I've used some key students to help me educate myself and my investment thesis on certain markets. And so I'm not, I'm not just choosing a market and diving in and buying the first deal I underwrite. I probably have underwritten in Greenville in the last six months, at least 60 deals, right? And, you know, and, and that helps me do a desktop study okay, what's the cap rates? What are my expense ratios? Who is the best players in that market? And when you start underwriting a lot of and having that lot of data, it becomes, it's not necessarily too different. So when, you're, when I'm walking a deal in Texas and I see that, hey, there's a cricket mobile store across the street, there's a Popeye's there. I know the I know the demographic. I know the in-place rents are a thousand bucks. I could probably lift them to $1,400 in the next two years. You know, it's in. A, I can, you know, I can get boots on the ground. I can see the, the transition happen, and I and I'm buying at, and I know operationally, you know, who, who's going to be my good property manager on the, you know, I've interviewed everyone, um, so I understand who's going to be my team. Then you start seeing, well, hang on, I could be walking a deal in Texas, I could be walking a deal in Tampa, I could be walking a deal in Phoenix right now. They all start to right. look and smell the same, you know, systems, HVAC systems, roofing, age, you know, all that stuff starts falling into place, and that's just because. I've done the 10,000 hours of, of touring deals, of underwriting deals, of seeing similar elements. Now, I may not have be the first call on every deal, right? And I get that. I completely get that. But I also know that I have an abundance mindset. I'm probably not going to outpace you in San Antonio, but I know that I might, I still love San Antonio. I might get one or two down there. You know, and and there's a lot of deals to be had. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be a fifty thousand unit company. I'm trying to do three to five deals a year. You know, keep keep just being sustainable in the growth that I do, and and you know, make sure that that sustained growth. If I have a couple of markets to be hunting in, again, I don't want to be super scattered. But now that I've got you know a deal in Phoenix, okay, I'm going to go probably buy another six deals or seven deals in Phoenix. Now I've got a deal in Greenville, probably going to go buy another six or seven deals in Greenville and build up those markets in order to get scale. But you've got to start somewhere, right? And that started with you know you and I when we when we bought the Joseph together back in San Antonio back in 2017. So it just all those reps have helped me build one a sort of a I don't know a sixth sense to sort of start to feel. But it's backed up by data, right? It's backed up by the physical numbers. And I've got guys who underwrite for me all the freaking time just to capture the data, right? And then we use that data to make better investment decisions in the long term. So, and then the other thing I look at, like, you know, Tides Equities, one of the biggest multifamily buyers in the country, right? They live in LA. 
but they do deals. They don't do deals in LA. Ashcroft Capital, headquartered in New York City. You know, there's a lot of examples of of people and bigger companies that have grown and they haven't been in their backyard. So it's also a mindset thing that you can go out and, and, and achieve what you want to achieve with the right team in place, with the right mindset in place and not be afraid to jump on a plane and you know, spend a couple of days touring a market and doing that multiple times over six to 12 months to build those relationships. Yeah, I like it. I like what you said about doing three to five deals a year. I mean, that's kind of one of the nice things about multifamily is you don't need to transact 1,000 times to support your payroll for your company. You know, I mean, you, you can buy a thousand doors a year and have a really healthy company. Um, and that's, I mean, gosh, especially if you look at a multiple markets, that is just, that's just not that many deals. You're doing a deal a quarter, maybe two deals in a quarter. Um, and it's the same brain damage, any transactions, the same, you know, I'm selling some of my single family rentals right now. Talk about brain damage. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness. My realtor is kind of on the front end for that stuff, but it's like, let's go buy another $50 million deal. Cause it's like, it's, it's the, the transaction, the transaction, right? Right. Right. So, it's interesting. You say that like coming out of, of Wildhorn and coming out of what, okay. In my own, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, it's strength, but um, know my own value, my own skin. And what, what can I go and achieve by myself? You know, obviously with a partner, you can run just you know, doing twice as fast with two people, obviously. But when it's sort of your own, you're steering your own ship, I back into, okay, what can I, what can I go buy, right? What can I go raise? And, and I think that's, right. that's uh, you know, as I grow, and you mentioned, you know, a deal a quarter. Well, the reason I do a deal a quarter for those people listening out there is that once I tie a deal up, it's pencils down. The whole team's now focused on raising capital, right? And yep. getting the deals closed. So like this deal in Phoenix, we're about to close next week. We got the, got the money raised. I just was awarded awesome these two deals in greenville but, but again i've been hunting there for over 12 months so now i'm going to focus on that i won't be looking at any more deals and get and make sure those deals are closed and then maybe probably take you know, a couple of months off, not a couple months off but maybe take the rest of the year off after my baby's born <laughs> to, to spend it with my wife but again sure. I, I will i will have probably done nearly close to 100 million dollars in less than 12 months if you know if it all goes well with with these current raises which is a lot of freaking money you know let's let's not let's not beat around the bush there you're doing 100 million that's that could be two deals that could be 10 deals it right. just depends on you know your comfort how comfortable you are at raising certain amounts of money so that's why i back into sort of a 20 20 to 35 million dollar type of deal size because i know that is what I can go and, and put under contract and raise the money and close on it uh, with confidence. Yeah, that's perfect. It really is a balancing act. We talk about it in our firm all the time. You know, it's a, we've got a three-legged stool. The legs are operation capability, uh, capital capability, and then deal flow. And they, and they can't, none can really get too far ahead of the other. You know, if, right. if our deal flow falls behind and then we've got investors, you know, asking when the next deal is, which is a great problem to have, but it's still a problem. You know, you want to be able to put enough consistent deals in front of people. And then if your deal flow is too hot and you don't have the capital for it, you're, you're stuck. Uh, and then operationally, whether you're vertically integrated or whether you've got, you know, even bringing on a third party company, they're still going to have to staff up for, you know, these bigger assets. So it's, it's definitely a balancing act, keeping, 100%. keeping all those in, in play. Well, let's talk about, um, we're, we're talking mid 2022 right now, the, um, you know, the 800 pound gorilla is the Fed and, and debt markets. So, you know, what are, what are you guys, uh, how are you guys contending with that right now? Let's get into it. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to buy. If you yeah. have been hanging around the, the, if you've been doing what I've been doing and underwriting deals and 
banging your head against the wall for 12 or 18 months thinking, oh, there's no deals, there's no deals. There will be deals now. Yep. You have to keep, this is the time where people, you, you know, the, the, the men are divided from the boys. Right. And if you have been consistent, if you've underwritten the 60 deals in your market, which you know I talk about all the time, you have to underwrite 60 deals in a market before you can start becoming a market expert. I don't care where it is, right? And these are big deals. You will start to see, again, the, the rebound coming. And I'm literally case in point, these two deals that I've just tied up, it actually happens to be four deals in total, but two, 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 two pack portfolios. Right. That took over a thousand hours of underwriting multiple deals in those markets, under uh, building out the team, building out those relationships and timing now with the market that's sort of softening, so to speak. Um, it's a perfect, it's an op- opportune time to buy. But let's get into the details. So what does that mean from a, from a you know, oh, what about the debt market and rising interest rates? Yeah, you have to contend with that. But you're going to contend, if you're a prudent investor, you will be deploying capital in every market. You can make money in every market. You, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but you just have to be malleable and adjust your underwriting as things change. So what does my underwriting look like today? Okay, I'm looking at 65% leverage. I'm looking at 5.25% fixed rate loans from local banks. That's what makes sense today. Bridge yep. doesn't make sense anymore. Um, that's okay because cap rates are crazy. Uh, sorry, not cap rates, rate caps are crazy. I still think the fundamentals of real estate are, are really there. I, I mentioned earlier about the, the $1,000 in place, pushing it up and seeing inflationary effects that have happened across these secondary markets that, you know, I remember coming to Texas back in the day when we closed on the Joseph, I think the average two bedroom was probably 850 bucks. Well, the average two bedroom in, and again, I know that because I've underwritten so many bloody deals over the, over the years, right? Now the average two bedroom probably in San Antonio for a class B is around 13, $1,400 on a renovated product. I know that, right? That, that rolls off my tongue and it goes back to just knowing, you know, knowing the data inside and out. And so then when I go back to look at, okay, well, do I believe, I might be buying this at like a, a, a sub four cap. Oh God, that, that, that's, that's scary. Well, we're all buying at sub four caps. It hasn't, that hasn't, that hasn't changed, but you have to believe in and understand where's the value that you're creating, right? And how are you creating that value? Because you're not just buying an asset and then parking your money and going on, you know, you, you mentioned the stool, the operation stool. You make money when you buy, you lose it really quickly through bad asset management and bad property management. So you have to know that your rental rates are where you're trying to push to are in line with the market. Well, how do you know that? Let's look at the average household income. And most probably you, you, you Devin, like I do, I buy in MSAs and in submarkets where the average household income is about fifty dollars to $60,000 a year, right? That's the average US household income across the US. If I go and do the rule of three on that number, right? $55,000 divided by three, divided by 12 months, it's around 1500 bucks. If I'm buying in a market where my in-place rents are about $900 to $1,000, I have market data to show that other comps are at the $1,500, and I can layer on top the, you know, the sort of more macro level of what the household income can afford, then I know that I'm hedging my bet and I can push those rents up in an inflationary environment. Now, I would be scared if I was going into that sort of market and trying to get $2,500 rents because the people couldn't pay it. So right. I'm backing into what value that I can create and know, knowing the data backs it up, not only just in comps, but in terms of the national you know, household income that I think can support my, my future uh, renovated rents. And that's where I then look at, you know, what's my stabilized cap rate. So usually my stabilized cap rates in the six and a half percent range, which I then have a good delta between my interest rates to make cash flow. Um, 
Also, I'm not over leveraging. People that have gone out and got 80% leverage on the purchase, then 100% capex, I've never done that. And I think, you know, Devin, you know from our days on Wildhorn, we like to keep it, you know, 60, 65 to 70% on the purchase and maybe do 70% leverage on the capex, right? Keeping some money on hand should something go wrong. Uh, and so all these things add into making sure you're hedging your bets. But the fundamental of real estate is that I do believe that we need affordable housing, right? We don't, we don't have, we don't have a crisis in class A, right? There's no, there's no affordable, and, 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 you know, when you're building from scratch, $2,500 rents is what makes a deal pencil. And, you know, you do that in, in, in San Antonio, you do that in Austin, you do that here in LA because obviously the cost of materials are going up. So I think buying existing assets is still really, really, um, you're still going to have a line around the corner as interest rates go up, less people are buying first time homes because it costs more to service those mortgages. They're going to rent for longer. I think in general, when you compare it to 2008, I'm going to get more into the macroeconomics here. 2008 was a US problem that percolated across the globe. Today, it's, an, it's a worldwide problem. There is infl inflation issues in Australia. There's housing issues in Australia. There's housing issues in Canada. There's inflationary issues in Europe. But all banks, all central banks have a couple of levers. They can reduce liquidity and they can increase interest rates. Very, very sound advice to, to, to combat inflation. However, we have other factors at play. COVID caused a massive you know, supply chain issue. Jamming on those interest rates ain't just turning the supply chain spigot back on. It's coming. We, we all know it's going to come back. Then labour participation. How do you get more people to get back in, into the workforce? I know my dad, for example, a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, people have got too used to these stimmy checks and all that sort of stuff. But I also know on the other side of the coin, my dad was in, in his, in his mid-60s. His IRA, the equivalent IRA in Australia, went through the roof in COVID. Mm -hmm. He was like, why the hell would I? Why would I I'm going to retire. So you lost a lot of people in 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 a educate not educated in a in very experienced people in the workforce that probably aren't coming back. And I think I read a stat here in the US was about four to five million people on that sort of fifty to sixty range that just said I'm I'm done. Um, so there's a lot of things at play here. So what what you know what does a crystal ball look like? You've got then, then got to add on the Fed is doing all they can to curb inflation. I do believe that if you look at the ten year and the, and the three year. It's starting to tick back down. I didn't look at it today, but you know, we start to see that the markets are responding to what the Fed is doing. And the Fed was more aggressive in the last interest rate hike than what they said they were, which is a good indication that they're trying their best. But you're also going to have an election cycle, right? Election cycles come around. Politicians are going to promise the, 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 the world. But back to my statement earlier, we're all at the same starting blocks. Every single country is at the same starting block today. They're all got inflationary problems. Every country has 30-year highs and every country has affordability problems in terms of rent. So being in the in physical real estate, but making sure you're underwriting correctly to the debt market is still the best place for, to park capital in these types of environments. Because if you had a million bucks sitting in the account, it's probably going to be worth 8% less in, in a year's time. It's probably going to be worth 16% less in two years' time. Even if you parked it in a physical piece of real estate and you sold it for what you, you bought it for two years later, well, you haven't, it doesn't have your money hasn't eroded. So again, in these times, investing in physical assets is still really important because the fundamentals are there. But in terms of the macroeconomics, I don't have a crystal ball, but there will be other pressures in place that is not just a US problem, unlike 2008, where it was very much a US problem that percolated around the world. I said a lot of stuff there, Devin. <laughs> That, 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 that's just my two cents on, on, on how I see 
this playing out and how I still think investors can be savvy in today's market as there's less competition. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we've got some we've got some uh, price reduction, which we've been asking for for years. You're never going to have all the variables line up as a buyer in your favor. Low rates and low prices. That's just that doesn't exist. We've got some some headwinds on some things, um, but we've got tailwinds and maybe a little bit better price than we saw six months ago. We've absolutely still got the rent growth. We've got undersupply and depending on what market you're in. So I mean, there's a there's a ton of things happening there. Not to mention the fact that um, you, you've got to seek some sort of yield for your, for your liquid cash. I mean, 8% right. as a published CPI print is fine. Maybe, maybe it's a lot higher than that. Some, some people speculate that it is. So, um, yeah, totally, totally agree with you on all that. And, and, um, still, you know, it's, it's never been easy to buy multifamily deals in any part of the market cycle. It's always been a struggle. You talk about looking at, at at least 60 deals in a market before you're able to, to pull the trigger and maybe a lot more than that. That's always been the case. It's always been hard to do. Um, and that's, you know, that's why you've got, got good operators with good teams able to, able to execute it. And add on, add on to that as well, that yeah, I've come out of 2008, which I don't think a lot of people talk about, but it is true. And it goes back to my, the, the yield, um, you, you just said that the, the chasing for yield commercial real estate has really become, in my opinion, again, less, alternative you know you think about the, the the big you know institutions that are now investing in commercial in mobile home parks which would would never have invested in 30 right. years ago you know so 2008 also did have a shift into the commercial world in order to chase that yield and that that has you know mean meant that we've had more competition cap rates are going down there's more liquidity in the market so th- th- there's another factor at play that that and you can't ignore that either so yeah. 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 That's certainly the case. One thing too, about you mentioned 2008, you know, uh, it was way too easy for anybody to get a loan. You fog a mirror, you get a loan, you get multiple loans. Since then, it's been as difficult as it should be to get a loan, whether it's a multifamily loan, whether it's a loan on a single family rental or primary residence, it's as difficult as it should be to get a loan. That hasn't changed in the last decade plus. Um, we've seen lots of things with liquidity entering the marketplace post-COVID and different things like that that have been variables, but the, the lending standards are, are not one of the challenges that we're facing this time around, which is which is good. I completely agree. And, and as it should be, right? It yeah. should be, you, you should be required to put some skin in the game and not just have a heart, heart, heart beat and, you know, get lent to willy-nilly. So yes. Yeah, it was obviously comical looking back on this thing, uh, you know, and quite obvious how it un- all unraveled uh, once, you know, once we got on the other side of it. But, uh, well, that's great. So you get a handful of deals. What, what do you guys see kind of for the next, you know, year or so as you're building out the team, building out the company? Is it is it based around, you know, an amount of capital you want to deploy? Is it just being opportunistic as deals come up? You know, what, what do you see kind of for the next 12 months for the focus of your team? Yeah, I think the goal for me was to hit $100 million in a 12-month span from sort of March, to call it March 2022. Sure. I'm already well on track to hit that by March 2023. Um, and again, it's, you know, different ways of, of, of bringing capital in. So you know, one of the things, you know, a lot of indicators I do, I just did on my last year was I now allow 1031 exchanges into my deal. So I could just okay. any source 
of equity that I can find. It's not just LP, you know, money sitting in the bank on IRA. I'm, I'm also taking on 1031 exchanges because there is a lot of money out there that has been generated in the last three years that needs a home. And people right. are worried more about the taxes than necessarily about the returns on their investment. So I, I, I've now opened that door and that door has, uh, you know, allowed me to now look at other deals and be more confident with that equity raise to say, yeah, I can get this done. I still think it's a deal a quarter for the next 12 months, um, build the team up, uh, make sure I've got my good processes in place. So that's probably three to four deals. Again, once we close on these deals in, in Greenville, my baby will be born. So I'll probably have a month or month off and then, you know, pick it back up in Q, Q1. Um, but again, it's it's just being keep being consistent, talking to a lot of people, being on these podcasts, interviewing people on my podcast, listening to what the market has to say, and just and continue actively underwriting deals. Don't stop underwriting for all those people listening. I think that's the big thing. Be 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 consistent because if you be consistent, you'll start to see more trends form, and you'll see that what you just mentioned. You know, we're going to have a bit of a pullback in pricing. I just retraded my my buyer, uh, sorry, my seller. On twice on on the deal in Phoenix, so right. it, it, you know it happens. It's happening. So yeah. it, it just you know deals will get done. It just may take a little longer. Yeah, <laughs> so. That's right. Yeah, retrade two years ago was unheard of. You'd never do it. Market conditions change. We're in a different world. Everybody's doing it. So it's right. it, it's just you're sur- we're surfing here. We're not you know walking this straight line from A to Correct. B. Correct. That so. is and that's that's a great analogy. That and as entrepreneurs, we need to be surfing or you know continually moving and reacting to what's happening uh, in real time. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, Reed, it was great to catch up. I'm excited for, for your current projects and for, for the year ahead and, and for your, your family. That's all really fantastic stuff. If someone listening wants to connect with you, what's a good avenue for that? Easiest way is to jump over onto reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. That's where the books are. The podcast is, you can also just Google my name. If you're ever coming through Los Angeles and you want to meet up for a beer, talk shop, whatever, uh, hit me up at info. That's I-N-F-O at reedgoosens.com. Fantastic. Well, if you're listening, the link to that will be in the show notes for this episode. So click through, connect with Reed. Uh, Reed, thank you. It's great seeing you and I wish you uh, continued success. Thanks, brother. Be well. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.